The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown to zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. So on this episode, we are speaking with the World Wildlife Fund. Erin Simon is joining us. She's the Director of Sustainability R&D and Sheila Bonini, Senior Vice President of Private Sector Engagement. And we also have Linda Walker. She's the Director of Responsible Forestry and Trade. World Wildlife Fund. So when I was a little girl, I would read magazines and uh, information about World Wildlife Fund. So it's been part of who I am as a little girl. And now I'm super into sustainability. So it's an honor to have all three of you ladies on the show. So thank you for coming. And I would like to know a little bit about why why you're interested in plastic, because typically we see the panda bear on the logo and we think it's all about animals. But now there are plastic initiatives. Yeah, no, that's a good question um, and one that I often have to answer. And we did start out with wildlife. That's why you've got the panda and that reflects kind of our initial focus. But you pretty quickly learn if you're going to address issues for wildlife that you have to care about their habitats. And their habitats are forests, freshwater, oceans. And freshwater and oceans, we're seeing the plastic. But also um, the things that really put a threat on those habitats and we address climate change and also food production. And plastic actually affects almost all of those areas where we work. So we first think of wildlife. Many people see the picture of the turtle with a straw in the nose yeah. or being caught up in a plastic bag or maybe a seabird that's ingested significant plastic. So it has a big impact on species. I think over 800 species are impacted negatively by plastic. And then the plastic that we see that's in rivers, and um, oceans and all over the beaches. That obviously impacts our oceans, but it has a climate impact too. If we take all this material, which has a climate implication when you take it out of the earth and when you make it into a plastic and we don't find ways to reuse that material, then we're wasting all of that energy that was put into making it in the first place. So it plays into all of these things that are really important to us. Um, But I also want to say there's another aspect of it, which is often when people look at the plastic, they say, get rid of it and we'll make it better. Let's make bioplastics, for example. And about 10 years ago, I think um, folks at WWF had the foresight to say, hey, this kind of bioplastic thing, where are they sourcing that stuff? And what are the implications of that? And realizing that if you don't look at the feedstocks of these bioplastics and figure out if they're sustainably grown, you're actually not necessarily going to have a more sustainable plastic. So it's that um, foresight that over the years we've really developed this expertise in materials and in plastics. And uh, my colleague, Erin Simon, leads that work and has been a terrific force of nature in driving our plastic works. Thank you, Sheila. Yeah, it's very important to animals, isn't it, when you start thinking about it, especially when we see all the photos and the videos that are coming out now with whales washing up with plastic in their bellies. And and uh, so it definitely makes sense. Yeah, and the local communities too, right? If you're thinking about the places where this the waste is really massing in Southeast Asia, there are local communities that are impacted by the amount of pollution that is depleting fisheries that they, they depend on for both their livelihoods and for, for food. And so 
uh, I think holistically this problem is really impacting both um, you know both people and species and so from that perspective um, I think uh, the urgency has driven WWF to really develop a pretty holistic strategy to address it. And uh, you guys have a vision for plastic right going forward? Well, our vision is that um, plastics in and of itself is not a bad thing, right? Plastics play an important role in sustainability. They're very light. They're good at protecting food. They have many, many uses. The problem is plastic in nature. So our goal and our vision is to have no plastics in nature. And we've set a timeline for that to be 2030. That's very ambitious. Very ambitious. Yeah. And that's good, too, because like plastic isn't a problem when we're using it because it's so valuable and useful. But you're right. The problem is that it's in nature and that that is the problem. Yeah. It's the leakage. Yeah. And there is a a new program, I suppose, that you've started, Resource Plastic. That's a a new initiative. Yeah. Yeah. So Resource Plastic is uh, World Wildlife Fund's activation hub for helping companies take the ambitious commitments that they've made um, and turn them into meaningful, measurable change, right? Uh, If you look at the landscape of activities that companies are doing today around plastics, they are investing in waste management. They are looking at pilots in Southeast Asia where this problem is the worst. They are trying to figure out how to influence policymakers and tell stories to their consumers. So there's this whole massive amount of activity that is happening, which is really exciting because you can see how much everybody cares and how how urgent everybody sees this issue. But the challenge is when you're trying to, to get to a place where there's no plastics in nature and you have to fix an entirely broken system and everybody has to sort of lean in together and do that in a coordinated way, you have a lot of activity but not a lot of um, ways to tie it together and coordinate it so that as we're throwing that stuff at the wall, trying to solve this big problem, can we pause and ask ourselves, like, are those things adding up to mm-hmm. the change that we want to see? Are those things going to actually get to the point that at 2030, we're not going to have plastic in nature? So resource plastic is designed to help break down those silos of all of that activity happening and, and say, okay, where are the opportunities that each of these companies um, can find for their greatest impact? Where are they? What are they making? Where is it going in the world and what happens to it? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it reused? Is it recycled, composted? Or is it landfilled, incinerated, or just lost? And when they identify that opportunity, they can then choose the right intervention, whether that is investment in new materials or looking at new legislation or investment in infrastructure. Um, and so we're helping them to close that how gap. We're helping them to create this roadmap for how they can deliver on every, all that ambition that they've done so far. Very cool. So it's a roadmap. You're not actually going out and trying to get the numbers for companies, right? Like you're not trying to find out, you know, how many bottles from this company are there or... Actually, a big part of being able to figure out where you have the biggest impact is by understanding what you're making and where it's going. And so you need to quantify that, right? So if I was a company that was a partner of resource, I would be finding out what I'm buying, right? Am I buying um, recycled content? Is it virgin? Is it sustainably sourced bio-based? What is it being made into it? Is it a PET bottle? Is it a PET tray? Is it a polyethylene film? And then where is that being used? So when it's shipped off to a customer, where does it end up in the world? Um, And then from there, understanding what happens to it. So all of that allows us to understand a company's plastic pollution footprint, Mm -hmm. right? So what have they lost? And then they can put the right interventions in place to have the biggest impact. Mm -hmm. And when you do that together, when companies are asking the same questions together, then they can find opportunities where their collaboration can take something to scale much quicker. 
because we just don't have a lot of time to just wait around and hope these incremental things are going to get us there. We need sort of that that large collective action that happens, um, you know, sitting down in these places to solve these problems. Mm-hmm. And I saw some collaboration today on the panel that I attended with you. It was a lunch, actually, yeah. World Wildlife Fund, and there were some big brands there, and you're partnering with them, right? Yeah. So what, what brands are those, a few of them? Yeah, so the companies that are partnering with us initially on resource are Coca-Cola, McDonald's, Starbucks, Keurig, P&G, and Tetra Pak. And we're also oh. partnering with two key thought partners, Ellen MacArthur Foundation oh, cool. and the Ocean Conservancy. Nice. And so is it easier for those companies to partner with someone like you who has the resources and the knowledge and the experience of being an environmental group uh, typically than for them to start their own? Um, is it is that why they're partnering? Yeah, I think WWF is really known for convening, right? And we have great examples of this work, not just in plastics, but in our forestry work and in our work with climate. And so what we do is create a space where together we can ask questions and advance the learning on some of these really tough questions around how do we measure our impact? How do we find out what the right things to do to solve for um, deforestation or to solve for um, like what are part of the, the climate emissions of the world are. And so, you know, doing that in a collective way with a lot of um, input from ex- and expertise from folks in our organization and others that we bring to the table, it really creates a safe space for them to understand that and then to do it together. Yeah, I would, I would add to that. I think um, that's all correct. Part of it is we are unusual in that we have material science and we also understand the more land-based issues. So like I was saying about bioplastics, we have the expertise to understand if crops are being grown well. We also understand if you're doing trade-offs with paper, where's the source of that? So it's bringing that expertise. But I think the other piece that's really important In addition to this kind of convening so that the companies can all collaborate with each other Mm -hmm. so that we can kind of get that one plus one equals four is uh, the credibility. And so a big part of what Resource is doing is it's creating a credible measurement system so that we can hold everybody accountable in the same way that we do around climate. We have actual measurement that we all agree to. This is how we count greenhouse gas. We don't have that today for plastic. And that's really important. And it's really important that it's done in a credible way and that each company is not going off and coming up with their own methodology that makes them look good. Yeah, so they can all kind of develop together and, exactly. and then you do, like I said in the beginning, have the name, right? So it's good for the companies to be associated with uh, with a, a big brand that people trust. Not a brand, but an organization, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I see that Coca-Cola is working with the WWF, that gives me some hope, right? <laughs> like a, it's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so so what, what role do companies play when it comes to plastic waste? You know, I think uh, there's a lot of, in, in fixing a broken system, you have to, you have to in, really work with all the key players. So companies play an important role in the ability to make changes in their own supply chain, you know, rethinking the way they're making materials, rethinking what they're actually using and where it's going in the world. They also can influence the rest of the value chain. So they can influence policymakers and consumers and cities. Um, But we are, WWF holistically in the No Plastics in Nature strategy is also working to influence uh, legislation and um, cities and, um, and, and our public, our members too, so that they can understand what we're trying to do. Very cool. 
And um, what are what are some initiatives that some of these companies are planning? So I know that they're working closely with you, but are there specific examples of uh, a brand that's done something that you know of? So already you have some pretty big commitments that are out there, right? You've got Coca-Cola has the world without waste. And they, even before the large commitments were starting to be made by companies, said last year that they were going to make sure that every bottle or package they put into the marketplace, they would get back. And that was a bigger commitment than we had ever seen before. And so that alone set a pretty high bar. And you saw a lot of uh, a lot following behind that in a similar way through the global commitment that Ellen MacArthur Foundation launched last year. You also have organizations that are looking at products that they make that today there's no infrastructure to recycle them. So let's take diapers. Those are not something that you can recycle due to the purpose of them. Mm-hmm. But um, Procter & Gamble has developed a technology that can recycle diapers and get materials out of those diapers and that can be used again and sold to other products. And so I think that there's a number of things that these companies are doing already just thinking about that. And then collectively, they've come together with the Trash Free Seas Alliance to look at what's happening in Southeast Asia and how to influence policy down there. What's and that? So the Trash Free Seas Alliance is a program that's led by Ocean Conservancy, another one of our partners. Cool. And so they are looking at where sort of the front lines of this issue is Southeast Asia. That's where you have huge population growth. You have a lot with that population growth comes, um, you know, a larger economy and therefore you're buying a lot more stuff. And that has happened at a very fast pace. And what hasn't kept up with that is waste management. So that area of the world is really lacking any waste management. So often that their waste is being thrown right, thrown right into rivers, um, right into the canals behind their houses, and it's proliferating on the beaches. And so the question is, how do you solve for that? Because you, it's, you're really starting from scratch. In communities that are already facing pretty intense, you know, socioeconomic challenges, right there, you know, they are already there's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of challenges around education and food, and so there's there's just not a lot of funding to go around. So how do you work with those communities to engage them on getting better waste management and work with the informal sector there? So the Trash Free Seas Alliance is doing a lot of that work with companies, mm-hmm. and so that's a, and a great example of another collaboration that's come together um, to to think about this. Mm-hmm. And it's important to target the areas of those 10 rivers around the world that are polluting um, a lot of the, the ocean plastic, right? So Yeah, I mean, we know that we know that plastics are being littered everywhere, right? It does. I think we this has really shined a spotlight on the oceans and then the rivers and streams are clearly an entry point for that, too. So I think that what is challenging now for a conservation organization is how we have to consider plastic pollution and pollution in general as a part of ecosystem health and species health. As we start to measure our success as a conservation organization, those are those are things that we have to take into account more than I think we ever have before. Mm-hmm. And Linda, so so you're responsible for forestry and trade, and the WWF is, is heavily involved in forestry. We've done a lot of work, right, in, in the past? Absolutely. Um, our forest program around the world is committed to restoration, protection, and improved management of forests. We have offices around the world working with local communities that depend on forests. We have um, collaborations with businesses who are committed to responsible sourcing, not only of forest products, but also of a lot a lot of other agricultural commodities, like palm oil, soy, and beef, things, the production of those agricultural commodities that can have a huge impact on forests as well. Yeah. So we have programs around engaging with companies on responsible forestry, 
programs to engage with local communities who depend on forests, and programs to really strengthen forest policy around the world in ways that can keep forests thriving. Mm -hmm. And when you speak about environmental trade-offs, how does that relate to the forests? Well, it's interesting. The The concept of trade-offs, especially thinking about this plastics issue, has, has actually been around for quite a long time. And you think about going to the grocery store and saying paper versus plastic. That's been around for decades. Yeah. And there's trade-offs when you think about forest products, even in the building sector. Do you make a building out of concrete or steel or wood? And, you know, forests and wood are our best renewable resource on the planet. So, they are, um, you know, forests are renewable and, and they're, they're, they're really critical to the livelihoods of, of people around the world. But where products come from and how the forests are managed, um, where the wood comes from, is critically important. And we're looking at a future where by 2050, there's probably going to be three times as much wood removed from forests around the world really? for forest products. Now, that can seem like a daunting challenge, but what we're focused on is how forest products can be grown in a more efficient way if they're grown in plantations and if they are if there are um, if there is wood harvested from natural forests can that be done in a way that does that still sustains those forests manages them responsibly and maintains all the goods and services that those products provide for climate for water so there's trade-offs in all materials used for products we use every day mm. and i think the exciting thing about this plastics initiative and about the ways that it kind of connects with our forest discussion is that um, it's not a black and white issue, mm -hmm. but we, WWF, want to have our voice in the conversation to be able to talk to the public and to governments and to companies about things they can do that can minimize their impact on forests or on these other ecosystems. and. It's not just about doing less harm these days, but what proactively can companies do to grow the area of responsibly managed forests through restoration and things like that? Because we are looking at so much demand on forests. And growth, yeah. Yeah. So imagine if we just got rid of plastic all today, and I, I don't know if our forests would... Uh, survive that sudden shift, right? Because we're so used to it for packaging and housing yeah. and, and different materials. So yeah. I live a zero waste lifestyle, so I try not to produce any trash. Yeah. I do yeah. I do some, but <laughs> but I typically choose paper packaging if I can yeah. over plastic packaging. Yeah. And uh, is that is that sustainable in your your eyes or is plastic a part of the the sustainability shopping? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. I think the, the answer is it depends. I hate to say mm -hmm. that, but yeah. for example, if your paper shopping bag came from Indonesian rainforest, that's the last habitat for orangutans, then it's not a good choice, maybe versus a plastic bag that can be recycled. But if your paper bag comes from a, a forest that's managed to a standard that WWF really promotes called the Forest Stewardship Council standard, which is like the gold standard for um, that protects social and environmental factors related to forestry. If your paper bag came from a forest that was managed to those standards, then that is a fabulous choice because you're maintaining the values that that forest provides, even though there's harvest from it. And ideally you can recycle that paper bag. And a lot of paper products can be recycled 
five to seven times and used over and over again. So that opportunity to recycle paper and, and plastic is something that obviously is, is a really important part of the solution to, for all of us to take pressure off of nature. Mm -hmm. There's a Denmark study too that talks about uh, bags like carrier bags mm -hmm. and the impact, but they actually put right in the study that they didn't take into account the end of life. Yeah. So in Europe, yeah. they just incinerate or recycle. They're very good at that. Yeah. So they're not taking into account plastic bags that end up in a whale's stomach or, or you know, killing animals or something. So a lot of people took that study and said, oh, yeah, well, you know, plastic is actually better than these other things that are easier to recycle, like paper yeah. or cotton. And, and, and a lot of times, and, and Aaron knows this very well, too, uh, people talk a lot about these life cycle assessments yeah. of different products. And there's so much that goes into making both paper products or plastics, you know, the, the amount of, of water and energy and chemical use for bleaching that can go into paper products also contributes to their overall impact. So again, thinking about these products as in a life cycle way with a lot of variables depending on where the origin material is sourced from, how it's produced, and you know what the end of life or uh, you know opportunity is to keep reusing it are really critical elements to consider. I think you can I think you can take material out of it and have the same expectations across the board, right? Um, because these materials provide different properties. We want it to be sustainably sourced, right? Mm -hmm. We want it to go into something with the lowest possible footprint and we want to make sure that that we can cascade the value through recycling. We mm -hmm. globally need to work on recycling all of these materials. Yeah. We could do much better on pulp and paper. Yeah. We could do much better on plastics, on glass, on aluminum. You know, these are all materials that have different properties that for us create different shelf life and barrier properties. They provide different values in the healthcare environment to the construction environment. And so I think we need to think about, are we, are we using the right materials in the first place sometimes? But we also need to think about for whatever materials we're using, let's get them sustainably sourced and let's make sure that we get them back. Yeah. And, and I don't think that increasing the use of responsibly sourced paper as a replacement for certain plastics <laughs> is going to harm the world's forests because if you can if if it if it makes sense from a life cycle perspective to choose paper versus plastic which for a lot of products I think it might and you can source that fiber from responsibly managed forests I think that that is overall a very positive thing and um, what we've seen is that in a lot of places in the world if there's not an opportunity to source some wood from a forest and do it responsibly then whoever manages that forest doesn't necessarily um, receive the value or the income that would motivate them to keep it as a forest. So then you might end up having um, a forest that, if it's not seen as having value, then it could you know, be converted to some other use. There are people out there who, who feel a, a certain level of guilt for using paper, that as maybe as a replacement for plastic, that they think they're harming forests or harming trees if they use paper. And that can happen if the paper doesn't come from a forest that's responsibly managed. But if it does come from a paper uh, from a forest that's responsibly managed or recycled, then that can actually help a landowner who owns that forest see more value in keeping it as a forest versus selling it off for development. Um, or, or some other use. So we actually believe that one important way to keep forests as forests is to manage them responsibly for, you know, for paper and other products. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of the solution.
Yeah. yeah. What's, there's been some really interesting innovation because one of the reasons why we have plastic is because of its barrier properties. It, the moisture, its ability to hold things that are liquids, you know, its ability to create shelf life stable products. But there's some fun innovations that are happening in pulp and paper where they are making, like, for example, you know, the hot and cold cup. The next gen cup mm-hmm. challenge that just came out was mm-hmm. um, with a lot of companies, which they were trying to solve for the fact that the hot and cold cup today is paper with a plastic liner, which is technically recyclable, but not accepted at most MRFs. And so the challenge was, how do we solve for that? How do we move to something that is compostable, recyclable, no matter what? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the winners that are moving forward are 100% paper solutions that are essentially uh, have something added to them that makes them hydrophobic, meaning that they can still hold water, but they are recyclable and compostable as if it was just a paper cup. And that's really exciting. Now, there are challenges to hydrophobic, like it can make it harder to recycle oh. because you use water to recycle paper. But, you know, I think, um, <laughs> you know, we we keep, you know, I think it's opportunities where we can, you know, sort of rethink and try for new different things. There, We are still going to need plastics for making sure that like things like you know protein are you know continue to be able to sit on a shelf and not go bad because the cost of loss of chicken or a steak from an environmental perspective is just way too high for us to just hope for the best with um, a material that doesn't have as good of barrier properties. And so until the innovation gets to the point where we're doing that same thing and we can create those barrier properties, we're going to still have plastics. So we just need to make sure that we figure out how to recycle those a bit better and get that value back. Mm-hmm. So I have glass containers and I take them into the local butcher. I'm one of those people who reduce my meat significantly, but I have a son and he still eats meat and he's growing. And so, yeah, we just take in our glass containers and they're, they're happy to, to put it in um, so we can avoid that. But I mean, that I'm just one person. I don't know how do many. Do you shop at a butcher like regularly to do that? Um, yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And they know me and my containers now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, part of it is just every individual thinking about the interactions that they have with these materials and trying to solve for how to, um, you know, we, we live very fast paced lives. And so like, we like to shop once a week. And so we need stuff that's shelf stable, or it's a couple who's shopping for a pack of chicken. And so they need to be able to like divide that up. Um, and so how do we rethink that and make those little efforts that work for our lives that allow us to still not have waste as much food waste, but also, you know, make that effort. So that's really, that's a great, yeah. The more we can reuse on that. Yeah, you know, on that front, the better. Like Loop, yeah. who's also here. Loop with their the yes. containers, very fillable. Yeah. Well, that's a starting point, I think, for individuals, but for companies also, is what don't you need? Um, yeah. What's unnecessary? And I think there's a lot. I mean, for many of us, we don't need straws. Many of us, we can bring our own cup. Mm-hmm. We can bring our own water bottle, right? So there's some things that are really simple that we as individuals do. Well, the same thing for companies. There's actions they can take that are fairly simple that can start eliminating what's unnecessary. And then they can start addressing the stuff that we need. How do we make sure that matches the system in place for waste management and make sure that it's not ending in nature? So I think, I think it's a great start. Mm-hmm. And it can start to save a little bit of money as you recover the initial cost of maybe buying a, a set of forks yes. for your restaurant or something. And then when you don't have to buy plastic forks for maybe it's a couple years to get that price back. But 
I'm sure companies can start to see uh, money saved. So uh, a lot of my listeners are millennial women and you guys have really awesome jobs. So I'm just wondering if you could kind of say something quick about why you're interested in sustainability and uh, and how you got into such an awesome career. Can we start with you, Sheila? Yeah, um, I actually sat on a panel earlier and noticed that a lot of the folks um, – who were senior in sustainability had not started out in sustainability. Folks at companies who are like the head of sustainability, but often because they needed to have credibility in the business before they could actually have influence and try to get people to integrate sustainability across the business. Because it is something where you really need to integrate it across all of the business and you need to be able to get those stakeholders on board. Mm -hmm. So in some ways I'm like that. I started my career in, uh, well, first in investment banking and then, you know, did the MBA and went and worked for a consulting firm and very standard blue chip kind of background. Um, But I was really passionate about sustainability always. So when I uh, had been there for a number of years, I decided that's what I was going to do. But by then I had a, a fair amount of seniority and had the ability to work and to influence, to talk to um, clients, etc. What I'm seeing today that is really exciting is young people who have degrees in sustainability and they're able to walk into companies and have jobs in sustainability. That is super exciting. Very cool. Yeah. And I hope it continues and grows. Yeah. What about you, Erin? Um, I have a really sort of interesting background. I went to school for packaging engineering and material science. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and so I was working for Hewlett Packard for 10 years. And I, as Hewlett Packard became a member of the Global Forest and Trade Network, I got to know Linda. <laughs> and yeah. I was really. Erin was my champion, internal champion. And so I was, um, you know, I think I was ready for a change. I had been doing sustainability as a part of HP um, more broadly, but I I really, I wanted to sort of take it to the next level. And so I I came over to WWF to lead companies, uh, to lead our engagement with companies on packaging and material science. And so it really sort of um, forced me to figure out how materials can play a role in conservation and how the ability that a powerful NGO like WWF has to leverage the the reach and the the power that companies have to drive change all the way up their supply chain. So I've now been with uh, World Wildlife Fund for about eight years, and so it's been it's been great. Nice. What about you, Linda? Yeah, I have a little more traditional conservation background. I have a degree in environmental science, and I worked for 14 years with the Nature Conservancy oh, in yeah. in Maryland State and Washington State in the U.S., doing a little more traditional land stewardship and con- and land purchases for conservation. I got I went back to school to get a master's of forestry degree and was able to spend three months in Indonesia on the island of Sumatra, where I went there to understand more about some of the connection between companies producing pulp and paper products and conservation and the sort of the the nexus or the challenges uh, between conservation and commodity production. And my eyes were really opened to the impacts, the negative impacts that companies can have on forests and the planet um, when I saw the deforestation happening for both palm oil and pulp and paper in Indonesia. But I actually came back really charged up and inspired to look for ways to work with companies in the U.S. who wanted to be part of the solution, who were committed to sourcing materials in a way that did not have a negative impact on the planet. So I 
I had the opportunity within a couple years to uh, come to World Wildlife Fund and work for a global forest and trade network program that engages with companies on forests and to really understand the opportunity and the power behind those companies' commitments and the ways that that can have benefits in forests halfway around the world. So uh, I'm just thrilled to have this opportunity to be in this space of the conservation and corporate nexus, because yes, we need companies, we need governments, we need communities, we need a whole set of entities working towards solutions. But I really came to understand how companies can be part of that solution and our role to challenge them, uh, to learn from them, but also to challenge them to um, to show the leadership that they want to be able to show to their customers, to their shareholders. And so I've been in this role for 10 years now and really excited to see the ways that companies are now thinking about how they can go beyond just this do no harm, responsible sourcing approach to how how they might show leadership looking out to 2030 for forests in a way that can invest in restoration, forest protection, kind of make more investments in forests because we need that desperately as we look out into the future. Very cool. Well, thank you all so much for joining me today. This was an awesome episode. And it's really nice to hear that you're doing so much good work and working with some of the very, very biggest brands who can make the most uh, impact with their, with their changes, right? So that's absolutely great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you. From the World Wildlife Fund, that was Sheila Bonini, Senior Vice President of Private Sector Engagement, Aaron Simon, Director of Sustainability R&D, and Linda Walker, Director of Responsible Forestry and Trade. If you like our show and want to help save the world from all this trash we're consuming, please consider donating to the Zero Waste Countdown. You can become a patron on Podbean, you can find me on Patreon, or you can donate right on the website, zerowastecountdown.com. And if you're interested in seeing a photo of our guests, you can check us out on Instagram. That's zero underscore waste underscore countdown. And if you want to email me, it's laura at zerowastecountdown.com. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks to all our listeners in America, Canada, Australia, Germany, the UK, and wherever else you may be tuning in from. Together, we're going to change the world. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.